Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Christ, Our Passover. All right, today we're going to be talking about Christ, our Passover. Christ, our Passover. Let me begin by saying that Easter is traditionally the time that the church celebrates the passion, the death, and of course the resurrection of our Lord, and usually the emphasis is on the resurrection. And it should be, because without the resurrection, none of us could be born again. None of us could be saved. Amen. In fact, Paul says in one of his epistles, he says, if Christ is not raised, then your faith is vain. You're believing for nothing. In other words, everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Christian faith crumbles if there is no bodily resurrection, spiritual resurrection of our Christ the Lord. Amen. It just crumbles. So it is essential and it has many, many benefits. Amen. Beyond just being born again. There are other benefits, but I want to start with that. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away Reserved in heaven for you. Amen. Now, there's a lot in these scriptures, and I'm going to unpack them a little bit. Don't have time to go into a great uh, bit of detail, but these things are just full of revelation. So let me begin with verse 3 and 4. They are connected together, and they make it clear when you read them together that we were born again, but we were born again unto something. We were born again to something. We were born again to a living hope. We were born again to an inheritance. We were born again to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. Amen. Now that's talking about your inheritance as a saint of God, which includes a new body. One just like the one that Jesus has. Amen. Amen for that. How many looking forward to their new bodies? Glory to God. And the Bible says there's one reserved in heaven for you. So in the showroom of heaven, there's a brand new model of Scott Robin Forrest up there just waiting to be inhabited, amen. And I can't wait to get him, amen. When you get a little bit older, young people, you'll understand the yearning for a new body. So just like when you got born again, you traded in your old dead spirit for a brand new spirit which looks just like Jesus. One day, you're going to complete the process and receive a new soul and a new body. And you'll be perfect in every way, spirit, soul, and body, just like Jesus. I know it's hard to imagine, but it's in the Word, so just believe it. Amen. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn of many brethren. That means we're going to follow suit. He was our forerunner. He was our prototype. The firstborn of many brethren and sistren, of course. We're talking about the familyhood of mankind here. Amen. Hallelujah for that. Praise the Lord. You know, his resurrection was very important, as we've just been discussing, but also 
his death was important too. You couldn't have a resurrection without a death, okay? For that reason alone, his death was important. But there's more. His death was important, and it's beautifully symbolized in the ancient Hebrew celebration of Passover. Would you stay with me? So I want to do this this morning. I want to tie Passover to the New Testament reality of what Jesus Christ has purchased for us with his body and with his blood. Then I want to transition from the Passover to communion so you can see some of the parallels between the two. Finally, we'll take a look at the journey of two believers to a place called Emmaus, the very day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we'll see a wonderful prophetic picture of the healing provision in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's talk about Christ, our Passover. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I remember our pastor all the time, he would say, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. And I thought, that's a cool thing to say, but I had no idea it's actually in the Bible. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's begin with 1 Corinthians 5, 7, New King James. There's a lot in here, but I want you to see something first. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. How many glad you're a new lump? You'll understand in a minute. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Amen. Now, we have to go to other verses to find this, but trust me when I say that leaven or yeast is a biblical type or a symbol of sin. An unleavened bread that didn't have any yeast or quote-unquote sin in it, was eaten with a spotless sacrificed lamb as a part of the Passover meal. And both of these, the unleavened bread and the Passover lamb, are symbols of the sinless Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you see that? So to partake of the Passover meal was to symbolically partake of all the benefits of Christ, our Passover, who was sacrificed for us. Amen. Most important of these benefits was the born-again experience. We've already talked about that. And if you look carefully, it is hidden in this verse. Let me read it again, and then we'll, we'll pull that out of it as well. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So symbolically, the Bible says you become truly unleavened, or sinless on the inside when you fully partake of the perfect sacrificial lamb, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature which never before existed. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all things are of God. That's talking about your new man on the inside. We don't have time to talk about it, but... You know, you were made spirit, soul, and body. And when you got born again, your old dead spirit became a brand new spirit that's just like God in every respect. As hard as it is to get your arms around that, Ephesians 4.24 says we were made new just like God in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. That's good news. Here's the tough part. 
The challenge of the walk of Christ, the challenge of our, our Christian life is to get what's on the inside of us to show up on the outside of us. Isn't that right? To get what's in our spirit to affect our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, and even affect our body. That's, that's the challenge of the Christian life. Amen. So let's read about Passover. If you're not familiar with the Hebrew tradition and the celebration of Passover, if you would turn to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to read 14 verses. So hang loose. This is, this is church, and we can read the Bible in church. Exodus 12, starting at verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5 is very important. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Here we see that the lamb without blemish is a symbol of the coming perfect Christ. Amen. Jesus came to earth lived the life of a man, but was spotless, without blemish, without sin. And because he lived a perfect, sinless life, he was the only one on planet earth qualified to be God's perfect Passover lamb sacrificed for us. Do you see that? That's what Passover is all about. Verse 6, Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. Sounds yummy. Verse 10, you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Notice that they ate the Passover meal with unleavened bread, and the Passover lamb was to be completely consumed. Once again, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, symbolically, they were to fully partake of the benefits of Christ, our Passover, who would be sacrificed for them in the future. Verse 11, And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. As we're going to find out in the next few verses, the reason they had to be dressed and ready to go is the destroyer was about to lay waste to the firstborn of Egypt. And once that happened, the Lord knew they would be free to leave, and they'd have to leave quickly. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I think it's interesting that he's executing judgment against 
the gods, the principalities that ruled over Egypt, not just the people of Egypt, the gods, the false gods that were lifted up by the nation of Egypt. Verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. This is so important. And when I see the blood, and when I see the blood, I say again, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the term Passover comes from. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Amen. You know, when this whole coronavirus thing started happening, the first thing my wife and I did is we went out to our front door and we symbolically painted it red. We said, the destroyer shall not come to this house because he will see the blood and he will pass over. Whew. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here we see that because of their sin and, and rebellion, there was a massive plague that was going to take out the firstborn in Egypt. But when the destroyer saw the blood of the Passover lambs on the doorpost of the Israelite houses, he would pass over those houses. Thus, the Israelites would be spared the judgment of their sin and would be protected from the deadly plague as well. So here we see the first glimpse in Scripture that so many in the body of Christ just can't seem to grasp. The blood of the Passover lamb was a type of the blood of Jesus Christ that would break the power of sin and all of its effects, including sickness and disease. Amen. Included COVID-19. I hate to even say the name of that wretched virus. Amen. Verse 14, so this day shall be to you a memorial. The Hebrew root word there for that word memorial is remembrance. Remembrance. And that's a perfect segue into a short discussion of the sacrament of communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 30. New King James. Now this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthians about communion and the right way to observe it. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now, if you read the whole passage, you'll find that Paul was upset at how the Corinthians had abused and disrespected communion. And he stresses here in verse 23 that the proper administration of communion was so important that it was given to him personally by the Lord Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Jesus appeared to him personally and told him how to administer communion. That's how important the Lord felt that it was. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's that word again, remembrance. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim and you remember the Lord's death till he comes. You're getting a little bit better feel for communion now. So what have we learned so far from the verses that we've read? Well, 
According to Jesus, we are to partake of the elements of the bread and the wine or the juice as a memorial or as a remembrance. The same thing that the Lord said about the Passover, a remembrance that his body was sacrificed or broken and his blood was shed for you and for me. Notice also that Jesus says that communion, the New Testament fulfillment of Old Testament Passover, was to be observed until Jesus comes back to planet Earth again. Amen. I think that's cool. Now, without getting too much into the weeds, I want to share some of the parallels between Passover and communion. Let me summarize and give you what I believe to be the bottom line. Passover. Passover was something that the Hebrews started in the wilderness, or actually before they went into the wilderness, in the land of Egypt. Passover celebrates the redemption of the people of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Symbolically, it looks forward to the cross and what Jesus would do in his body and in his blood as God's perfect sacrificial lamb. Communion. Communion celebrates the redemption of the people of God from the bondage of sin and all of its effects. Symbolically, it looks back to what Jesus already did on the cross in his body, in his blood, as God's perfect sacrificial lamb. Verse 27, Paul says, Therefore, with all that in mind, Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So because we're proclaiming the death of our Lord, Paul reminds us to take the sacrament of communion seriously, not to take it lightly or disrespect the terrible price that Jesus paid with his body and with his blood for you and for me. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Well, what's that mean? Well, before you take communion, take a moment and think about what he did for you. Think about where you'd be if not for the grace of God, if not for the body and blood of our Lord. And also think about, is there anything in my heart, anything in my soul that's blocking the grace of God coming my way? If there is, Lord, I'm going to release it to you right now. Before I partake of communion, I'm going to release that. I'm going to forgive everybody I know to forgive. I'm going to release everybody I know to release. Amen. Verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That word there, discern, means not to fully understand. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now, here's where it gets interesting as Paul presses his point even further. He goes on to say that if you disrespect communion, you can bring judgment onto yourself. He says that many do not discern the Lord's body, and as a result, they become weak and sick and suffer premature death. So there's no getting around this if you're paying attention to the word of the Lord. The apostle Paul makes it clear, and as we know, he got this from the Lord himself, that Jesus' body was broken for the healing of our body. Amen. Amen. It's one of the major, major benefits of the finished work of Christ. Now I'm going to finish this by talking about the road to Emmaus, which is a wonderful prophetic picture of who Christ was and what he did for us. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 24. 
verse 13 to 31. A little bit of background. There were two guys that sat out on a journey by foot to Emmaus on the same day that others had discovered that Jesus was missing from the tomb. Picking it up here in verse 13. This is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. I hope you enjoy it too. Verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? In other words, he's saying, what are you guys talking about? Why are you so downcast? What's up? What, what's happening? You know. Verse 18, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? In other words, they're saying, where have you been? This is the talk that's on everybody's lips. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now keep in mind, they don't even know they're talking to Jesus. They're talking to the one that rose from the dead. Verse 25, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Amen. He put the preach on them, you know. It's about a four-hour journey by foot, I think. No, maybe two hours, seven miles. So they had a lot of time to talk. Verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Now there's a lot here. Let me just tell you what the Lord has shown me, and I hope it blesses you as much as it has blessed me. Emmaus was seven miles from Jerusalem, and seven is God's number of perfection and completion. I believe Jesus' journey to Emmaus speaks of the perfect life that he lived, that he walked out in his earthly lifetime. Emmaus was known to be a place of hot springs and mineral springs, which were believed to have healing qualities. So it was a place 
of healing. And Jesus was with them in the place of healing. People would come to Emmaus to receive healing in their bodies. So on their journey to Emmaus, Jesus expounded the word of God to them, these two believers who for some reason could not recognize him as their Lord. I think the contrast between the Lord they last saw hanging on the tree was so different from the new Lord with the resurrected body. They just, the shock of it, they just, uh, they couldn't imagine that it would be him. He showed them what the prophets had said about him and how he would suffer all the things that he suffered, trying to get them to see that he had done it all for them. Finally, when he broke the bread over an evening meal, I believe they saw the wounds in his hands as he offered the bread to them. And at that moment, they knew it was Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, who was slain for their redemption. Jesus said he was the bread of life, and now he was saying that his body had been broken like bread for them. They had seen it in the word that he preached, and it burned in their hearts. And finally, they had seen it in his wounds that testified that the power of sin, sickness, and disease had been broken forever over their lives. In the same way, we believers today need to see it in the word and see it through the eye of faith that Jesus' body was broken for the healing of our bodies and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak over the bread and then we'll partake and I'll speak over the juice and then we'll partake. And you don't necessarily have to repeat after me, but certainly uh, take in the words that I speak over these elements. Father, we thank you that Jesus' body was broken for us. When his body was broken, the power of sickness and disease was forever broken over our lives. So we partake of the bread, a symbol of his body, and we receive healing in Jesus' name. Partake. Father, I thank you that Jesus' blood was shed for me. When his blood was shed, it purchased for me forgiveness of sin and eternal redemption. I partake of the juice, a symbol of his blood, and I thank you. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. Partake. Amen. Amen. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Christ, Our Passover. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, Visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.